This week, we take a special look at the alien conspiracy caper, Men in Black. And along the way, we ask, does Tommy Lee Jones ever smile? Was Elvis really an alien? And did this movie set off any conspiracy alarms? Probably not. But this is Force-Fed Science. Hello, folks, back home. Welcome to another glorious episode of Force Fed Sci Fi. I am one of your co hosts, Sean Michael Culp, and I'm joined by the infamous. I am Chris Rupp. <laughs> Welcome, guys. We're in a special show today. We're going to talk about the 1997, I guess, sci fi classic, Men in Black. Yeah, I think it's safe to call this a classic yeah. at this point. It's about 22 years old, right? Well, we're also doing this because of the impending release of the new films, Men in Black International, starring Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson. Oh, man. As well as uh, Liam Neeson. And we thought that this was a this was a perfect time to take a look back and and watch and review what uh, was a really big movie in my childhood, at least. Oh, yeah. Mine, too. Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones, Rip Torn. It was just great. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, what do you say we do a quick plot synopsis of the original Men in Black, Sean? Yeah. Let's check it out. So, a mysterious government agency is tasked with covering up alien encounters and protecting the Earth from the scum of the universe. Face their greatest threat as a grizzled veteran and a hotshot new recruit must defend the Earth before the universe is destroyed. Hotshot. <laughs> I love when people say that. You know, that's true in any military movie or any movie like this where there's the new recruit. He's always called a hot shot. Dude, immediately I thought of Top Gun with like Tom Cruise for some reason. Yeah, but Tom Tom Cruise didn't have a mentor like this. He just had Mr. Strickland from Back to the Future (laughs) just angrily looking at him as he's pulling off maneuvers. Dude, I totally forgot he was in that film, Mr. Strickland. Wait, are we having a very early... Non sci fi wreck of the week with Top Gun? This soon? No. All right. No, we'll we'll come to one later. Use it, man. Top Gun. No, let's not use it. (laughs) So, that is a quick on paper synopsis of Men in Black. But there's so much more to it than just that. Yes, it's a very simple premise when you look at it from the outside. But once you dive into the movie, there's a lot of world building going on here. And I think this starts with the cast and crew. Yes. We got Tommy Lee Jones, Will Smith, Rip Torn. We've got uh, the guy that plays Monk. Tony Shalhoub. Yeah, and he is Jeebs. And then who else do we got in Linda there? Linda Fiorentino. Ooh. And also Vincent D'Onofrio. Yes. He just crushes it as the alien. But bug. I think it's also important to mention who was responsible for creating this movie. Yeah, let's take him back. So at the helm, the director's helm was Barry Sonnenfeld, mm-hmm. who before this did uh, The Addams Family. Adam's Family Values, and mm. Get Shorty. Oh, Get Shorty's So, so there's these quirky comedies that, yeah. he, uh, that he found his niche in doing. Mm-hmm. And he definitely brought his quirky style to this film, I thought. Totally. Because when I was looking him up, I'm like, really? He did The Adam's Family and Get Shorty? It makes so much sense. Poor guy, though. Uh, the early 2000s wasn't really very gracious to him. No. What, didn't so you say off on. air that he had to beg the producers to direct a third film for in the, this series? Yeah, because I don't think he directed anyone between 
two and three or if there was another one it was like a bomb like he was mm-hmm. like please please i have a great script just give me a shot well, we're getting a bit too far ahead of ourselves there. Yes. It's also it's written, the screenplay was written by Ed Solomon, mm-hmm. who I didn't know this when I was looking this, this up. He also direct uh, wrote the Bill and Ted films. Dude, so when I was looking that up, I love Bill and Ted, and the third one's coming out, which it sucks because George Carlin's not going to be in it, but those films, oh my Well, God. rest in power, big man. Dude, he is the man. For any of you guys that want some great comedy and like woke philosophy, check out George Carlin. And I forgot this watching it for today's episode, but this was actually based off a comic book. Yes. In what, 1990, 91? The The original run, yeah, was in 90 and 91, but this was only a six issue run. Yeah, it was super limited. But there was a bunch of one shots that came out in 1997, and now the property is owned by Marvel. Yeah, guess it. Marvel. Marvel, which is ostensibly now owned by Disney. Oh, man. Actually, the comics got inspired from, it was inspired from an event that took place in, what, 1947? Yes. But we will get to that, though. Yes. Um, The original music composed by Danny Elfman, which if you're unfamiliar- with this, with his work, I don't know how you are because you could watch literally any other Tim Burton film no and hear Danny Elfman music. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. No way. So all uh, this the time. original like 1989's Batman? Yeah. Nightmare Before Christmas? Wow. This Danny Elfman music. You know, but that's crazy cuz you think about those films and like how dark and creepy they are and you think of Men in Black. And well, it's such what like made a them super creepy film. was Danny Elfman's music. That definitely helped along with the aesthetic of those films. Yeah, but this film isn't creepy at all. So he just took like a turn for the happy side. And this does deserve a special mention in the crew credits. Normally we don't do this, but um makeup and creature design was by the Hollywood legend by the name of Rick Baker. Oh yes. And if you've seen this film, the creatures and the makeup is just insatiable. Yeah. Like the decaying corpse or skin of Igor is just incredible. Edgar Edgar. Oh, my bad. Edgar. <laughs> you watched Edgar the movie, the right? Yeah, I did. I did. Edgar the Bug. It's insane, man. So that's just the crew. So already we have a pretty good crew on our hands. We do. Well, what about the cast? We already mentioned uh, a few of the standouts in this film, but I mm-hmm. think it's important to mention where Will Smith was yes. at this point in his career. So he just finished, I think he just finished Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yes, and his run like, just ended there. And that's where like he got his claim to fame. It was before... Wild Wild West. <laughs> God <laughs> bless. And this is, and I think that's the film that our director that he made after this. He's yes. like, I'm going to do well. God bless that. Man. But before this movie, he did Independence Day. Yes. So Will Smith has kind of cemented himself as the science fiction hero. Yeah, but he's also like cemented himself as like the laugh out loud one liner type guy. Because oh, he delivers some great film, one-liners. It almost felt like that's what he was. His bit in this film was just like the one-line delivery guy. And he was great. It'd just be raining black people in New York. Dude, my, I watched this with my dad and my brother, and they were laughing out loud. My dad's like, oh, I love Will Smith during this period. He was so funny. He was laughing his butt off. <laughs> I haven't met your dad, but I feel like that that's how he talks all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also opposite Will Smith is... 
the legendary Tommy Lee Jones. Fresh off, uh, not fresh off, but he got an Oscar in the 90s from uh, Fugitive, right? The Fugitive. And then they later did the U.S. Marshals, which was, you said, the better of the oh, two. No, The Fugitive is the more superior of those two films. I mean, the Fugitive is more superior. But hey, hey, I would say that is my movie recommendation. Yes. Of, uh, dude, The Fugitive, you want classic Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones. I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. It's so great. He he was so... This is classic uh, Harrison Ford in the 90s when he was the action hero star. Check it out. In addition, rounding out the cast, we have Linda Fiorentino. Yes. Who I think up until this movie was kind of a bit actress. Yeah. Hadn't really done anything major until this. Uh, we have Vincent D'Onofrio. Crushes it yes. in this role. He's Ooh, just If you're so... unfamiliar with Vincent D'Onofrio, he's... Watch Law and Order. Uh, Law and Order Criminal Intent is a spinoff he was on. And also Daredevil, where he plays Wilson Fisk. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wait, the TV series or yes. the film? Oh, okay. The TV series. He's a TV guy, and now he's in more movies as the bit role type dude. Well, before this, there. he was in Full Metal Jacket as Pyle. Yes. Classic film. Mm-hmm. If you want some awesome military marines. And then we have Rip Torn Ooh. as Zed. Before he was getting drunk before he went robbing people (laughs) before he went bug nuts gosh silly man but he's so funny in this film and then we have tony shalhoub in a almost a cameo role as jeebs the the jewelry store owner yes who's selling stolen rolexes pre-monk which i do feel like (laughs) that that's a new york city film stereotype is if you have a pawn shop owner in the film, he's almost certainly selling stolen merchandise. Dude, I love in the film how the guns appear in the end. Will Smith's like, yeah, but I'm going to be back for those Rolex. <laughs> like, what? You saw these massive weapons. Show us the imports, Jeeves. You're going to lose another head. <laughs> Classic. This film is chock full of one-liners. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I think that leads us right into the development yes. and pre-production. So this movie was made on a budget of... Ninety million dollars, mm-hmm. which I love my inflation cal- uh, calculator. That is a hundred and forty-five million dollars in twenty nineteen money. Really? So that's, that's a pretty sizable pretty, budget yeah. for late nineties. And it grows six hundred. Yeah, six hundred. We'll yeah. get into that. Yeah, six hundred mil. So the film rights were optioned back in nineteen ninety two, and Ed Solomon was hired to write a quote faithful screen adaptation of the men in black comics okay because the comics didn't just talk about aliens no it talked about all sorts of paranormal investigations which ties into the lore of the men in black yes why people love who they are and like the the mystique around them because if you go on youtube that's like the first thing that they say in the videos we don't really know much about the men in black but they're here and so, yeah, I think this is a good point to discuss the actual the lore and history, quote unquote, of the Men in Black. It started in 1947. Yes. It was with Harold Drought. Dahl. Dahl. Gosh, words. Yeah, don't ask me to pronounce anything. <laughs> and he was a uh, conservationist. He was with his son and his dog, I think, on a boat. In Puget Sound, Washington. And they spotted six donut-shaped flying saucers appear above them and one broke apart and the uh, wreckage, like the fragments of the ship, killed his dog apparently and hit him and his son and he went and like told people, he told his boss and then later on this man dressed in black 
this man in black came and like said eerily described the entire event was like hey if you tell anyone about this i'm going to bad things are going to happen and thus spurred the men in black lore and then later on in the 40s you can probably talk about that more and more instances of this happened so here's the thing with the doll incident is it happened about two weeks after the roswell incident the classic roswell incident the roswell incident is almost i would say the the flashpoint for ufo conspiracies and alien conspiracies that's where it starts and all that so the doll incident when this happened was the roswell incident was pretty fresh in people's minds Mm -hmm. it was in the lexicon of the country so it's not impossible to imagine that somebody out there read this story and thought hey i can have my 15 minutes of fame by just faking that i had an alien encounter Mm -hmm. it seems a bit too coincidental that (laughs) there was a crash in roswell supposedly yeah and then some fisherman slash conservationist slash possible drunkard in washington a drunkard i'm assuming oh my i already know your sides of this but i might be a believer you know here's the thing Dahl later admitted that this was a hoax. Dahl admitted it was a yeah. hoax? Oh, I didn't read that. Because supposedly he gave his buddy pictures yeah. that he took. Yeah, that's what they said. But nobody else has seen these. I mean, I'm sure the Air Force investigators... Apparently yeah. he, he destroyed them because the man in black scared that's, him too That's much. a little too convenient. I took pictures, but I destroyed them so nobody else could see them. You know, that's crazy because I was like prepping, watching hours of YouTube documentaries on the men in black. And they never said that he admitted it was a hoax. I looked on uh, I looked on history.com. Okay. There we go. So that is that that was uh one of the sources I used for today was history.com. It was because uh, it referenced this because there's actually been 12 incidents that the government has officially investigated mm-hmm. for UFO sightings. So it's been this one in Washington, um Southern California, Chicago is on that list as well. New Mexico, uh, Texas, Alabama, Florida, Ohio, West Virginia, Washington, D.C., and New Hampshire. All these incidents were investigated under Project Blue Book, which was the Air Force official investigation group into UFO phenomena. Mm-hmm. But none of these investigations turned out mm-hmm. anything credible or anything that would be yeah. concrete saying, yes, this was an alien encounter. Well, yeah, and I've heard different arguments on both sides of like what and why in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, you know, because at that time it was like right after World War II ended, so we're testing a bunch of aircraft. So I'm sure a bunch of people thought these UFOs were just like flying aircraft. And, you know, the government didn't want to tell anyone. Well, yeah, because it's going to scare the bejeebus out of people when you tell them oh by by the way in 1947 america we've just learned that we're not alone in the universe when we've just discovered atomic energy exactly. so let's let's scare the pants off of people even more right exactly especially during the time of like soviet union rising to power the korean war so i can see why we're testing things but and however, they didn't want I, people to know i don't buy into the whole these were alien landings and the government covered it up so I've I've heard that argument because I've asked those questions. Why don't the UFOs come back in like the 70s, 80s, and 90s? Why is it only like that period where everyone's seen them? And they say because with the atomic energy, the UFOs, it sparked their interest. They came to the planet and they're like, oh my gosh, how developed are these humans? And then once they saw us, they're like, oh, JK, 
you guys aren't advanced as we thought. Well, this also brings up, for me at least, it brings up the Fermi paradox. The Fermi paradox. Have you heard of this? No, I have not. Okay, so you you know how big the universe is. Yeah. It's, it's it is massive. It is. Yeah. To describe how big the universe is is, an, is a near impossible task. Yeah. A, because the universe is expanding, and B, it's hundreds of billions of light years across. It's unfathomable. It's unfathomable. If the universe is this big, there has to be life somewhere else, right? Totally. And at some point, they would have visited us, right? Yeah. If our universe is that big, where is everybody? They're somewhere. They're somewhere. Maybe it's a civilization that's, if they are more advanced than we are, what reason would they have to visit Earth? Maybe they've been here, Chris. Maybe that's the answer to the pyramids. If you bring up ancient aliens, I mean, we might have an issue. I'm just saying, man, maybe that's it. <laughs> maybe they've been here, and that was just their checkup in the 40s. Granted, I'm, Maybe in our 40s, maybe 100 years from now, we'll see it. Granted, I'm just a layman trying to explain Enrico, Enrico Fermi's legendary paradox. I mean, I will say I, I 10% of me, maybe 5% of me still believes it's aliens because I'm not going to write it off. But I think the idea of like the government showing up in like all black to like, you know, shut it down is totally fathomable. And since this incident, we've seen that depiction in numerous items of pop culture throughout history. Mm -hmm. That just perpetuates more of the mythology of the men in black because oh, there were man. certain accounts that i read too that they were described with glowing eyes and they were floating above the ground no facial features exactly so Giant there's bodies. the doll incident describing these and then there's the more fantastical accounts of the ones floating off the ground did which you, i don't believe did you know that apparently dan Aykroyd supposedly saw the men in black in 02 he was like recording and i the name escapes me but it was like a show in 2002 and it was like about conspiracies x y and z and supposedly he took a break outside and he looked and he saw like the van or the car the black car he saw a man in black and he was like making an angry face at him scowling he looked back he looked away he looked back and the guy was gone and then we apparently supposedly we walked inside the producer said we're shutting this down we're not allowed to make the show anymore we're scrapping all the episodes all the writing please all. don't ruin my perception of dan Aykroyd. apparently that is a true story now I did get this information off of BuzzFeed Unsolved on YouTube. so Which is a very how, credible source. I, exactly. How credible is it? I don't know. But I was watching those episodes, and apparently Dan Aykroyd was one of the more recent sightings of Men in Black. So take that as you will. I, I won't take it as I will. <laughs> you know, here's the thing with every pop culture depiction we've seen of the Men in Black. Usually they just kill people. Right? Yeah. On that same segue, there were some brutal freaking deaths in this movie there were man it was crazy they just mauled people over well you had Edgar that was being flayed and turned into a suit a la buffalo bill silence of the lamb style he like sucked his organs out everything it was just left with skin and you had they, the bug exterminator who had the the rod just pointed down his esophagus and killed him Edgar crushed the waiter and fold him up as like a taco and shoved him in like a little what was that like a little crate yeah. Or whatnot. Shoved him into a little cabinet under the under the the, the counter there. The cephalopod that uh, Will Smith was chasing just commute commits suicide. Yeah, just jumps off a building. Did you notice that he also lands in front of two pedestrians on the sidewalk? Which I did not see the Men in Black uh, use the little uh, what is that called the neuralizer. Yeah, that's a it's a bit of a mistake on your guys's part there. Yeah. Who was your red shirt among 
those that were uh, mercilessly killed. So my red shirt was the waiter for sure, and then probably Edgar's guts. <laughs> because that poor guy was just arguing with his wife and just wanted to like check out his lovely truck and then no he wasn't so much arguing edgar was just being a, a turd husband he, he, was, he was not he was a good not dude a man. he was not nice his poor wife gosh you no. know if i had to pick a red shirt in this movie i would have to say it's that exterminator yeah who walks into the barn just thinking he's gonna do his job do his job and then Edgar the Bug just takes that rod and just like, I'm going to stick this in your esophagus. I kind of want your truck. I love these freaking bugs, even though I'm so evolved. Like, he can talk, but apparently the cockroaches, he still, he has that feeling, man. He can, ooh, telepathically communicate <laughs> with them. <laughs> My so question weird. was, why didn't he kill the wife? Maybe because she gave him sugar water? Maybe. But, like, he kills the well, tow truck, Well, Bug Edgar isn't as... M- mean apparently as real edgar bug edgar just wanted sugar water and he was gonna go and anyone that got in his way he was just like look man i'm on a mission from gad to take over this planet what did you think of the um the edgar effects the bug edgar makeup so the bug edgar makeup uh like at the end of the movie with he just throughout the movie because we see regular Vincent D'Onofrio. And he slowly decomposes. Yeah, and then we get him pulled into the pit, and then he gets that, flayed. So I thought the makeup on him was just insatiable. Like, you see him, like, with the flappy skin and everything, and then slowly, slowly, because I was watching it today, the different scenes, and it's so awesome. Like, his skin's nice and pink at the beginning, and then by the end, he's just this disgusting gray creature. Just, just pulls back his head and goes, yeah, and that butter. He's just nasty. I think the the makeup job that they did on that man was great. And his role was incredible. Yeah, I think this was Rick Baker, some of his best work. Yeah. Because he's done incredible. He's done films like An American Werewolf in London. Mm. Uh did How the Grinch Stole Christmas. He did The Wolfman a couple of, oh, a few years okay. ago. So he's solid. That guy knows exactly what he's doing. Oh, yeah. Rick Baker is a Hollywood legend. He also did Harry and the Hendersons, Ed Wood, oh. The Nutty Professor, and here's the kicker. He's won Academy Awards for all those. Okay. So if you want makeup, you ask him. Well, not anymore. He's uh, retired. Really? You know, he, uh, well, he's, you know, how many Academy Awards can you win? You he know, cited before? CGI as kind of the impetus for his retirement because everybody wants it done quick and nobody wants it done right. Yeah. Well, I don't blame him. But his work on the alien creatures in this movie is, I have to say, it's impeccable. So this film does a really good job at using practical effects and then CGI when necessary. It's not like an overabundance of CGI. Like when you go into the Men in Black headquarters, they have practical effects like actual aliens that they designed. Like, wow, you actually took the time to do this. Someone was operating the suit as opposed to just CGIing it. Well, just think about all the practical alien effects that are in the movie you have the slug in the mib lobby i'm pretty sure that's a practical effect you have just the random aliens that are throughout that mib lobby as well Mm -hmm. uh you also have the worms yeah in the coffee room yeah they're like puppets i think yeah which is just they're hilarious smoking cigarettes in a dick no it's a pizza (laughs) yeah the only really cgi'd uh, alien was Edgar, I guess the yeah. Once he rips cockroach. off his suit and becomes the cockroach, and then Mikey in the beginning, mm-hmm. that was yeah. And then also the um, the squ- the squid when Will Smith is getting bounced around the car yeah. delivering the the oh, alien yeah, baby. Man. Oh my gosh! Okay, something's peeking. 
<laughs> but what else? We did you have any uh, lens flares in this film? The most prominent one for me is when Will Smith is messing around in the armory, mm-hmm. and he pokes that little ball of energy, and it just goes shooting around MIB lobby. It knocks out some poor desk worker and is bouncing around the screen like just duck when it's coming at yeah. you, <laughs> and then it goes into that. Um, that laboratory that's apparently filled with nothing but liquids in those science containers and yeah. just destroys everything. Yep. And then he, Tommy Lee Jones catches it, goes, this caused a 1977 New York blackout. Like, awesome. Yeah. And then it does, doesn't, doesn't do anything nothing for else. the movie. You don't need this scene to prove that Will Smith is, is out of his depth. Exactly. I feel like they just wanted a scene to show that it's a comedy, to lighten it up, and to give like him some lines. Oh, it is still a funny scene. Oh, like, it's a hilarious scene. I laughed my butt off because I totally forgot about it watching it. Me too. And then just seeing it hit people and then go through donuts and then it goes into <laughs> Zed's office and then he, he just, just makes that quick Matrix yep. move and totally just dodges it. That's because that's Rip Torn, man. He's the man. So cool in this film. Mine was uh, the dragonfly at the beginning, the three minutes of credits mm-hmm. where you get the horribly CGI dragonfly just flying to just get smushed on a windshield. I was like, come on, man, let's get on yeah. with this. But I do like how this movie showed a very diverse group of alien creatures. Yeah. It was one of like our first films where it actually like focuses on the alien creatures and you get to like mingle with them mm-hmm. as opposed to like a Star Wars, Star Trek type gig. It's not like a Close Encounters of the Third Kind or E.T. or yeah. Alien where you only see one type of alien, mm-hmm. but you see a you see a whole different group of them. Mm-hmm. You see like a mother alien and a child alien. You see political refugees. You see the the dissidents or the anarchists and the worms yeah you see the grouchy guy or grouchy alien who will smith is told to stay away from yeah you see jeebs getting his head blown off <laughs> i mean it was really a mishmash of everyone. well you see rosenberg and yeah. his ambassador turns out they're little itty bitty aliens controlling big t- big old robots <laughs> gosh which is crazy but i think this movie in addition to that and having all the alien creatures it does a great job at world building Yes. And this is often a concept that we that we haven't looked at with some of our previous films, mm-hmm. um, like The Phantom Menace or yeah. Back to the Future or Inception. It just, I, I don't think world building was needed much in those films, but in a movie like this where you have to establish that there is some sort of history with the men in black, it's important to feel like that this world is well established. Because yeah. it's very much, well, it's not very much, it is a shadow world. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. And one of the first things Kay does is he, like, shows him the notebook with, like, all the pictures of back in the day in the 60s to, like, convince Jay, hey, we've been around. I was there. You know, we made Oh, you brought that tall man some flowers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, they did a great job just, like, tying it all in and bringing some, like, actual believability. Well, you have, um, you have the weapons. Yes. Which I thought were so cool. Oh, everyone wanted those weapons back in the day, man. Yeah, I remember there were a bunch of kids in mm-hmm. elementary school who wanted like the Nerf uh, replicas oh, yeah. of those guns, or mm-hmm. like the water, like the Super Soaker versions of those guns. Dude, I would have taken the cricket. Yeah, <laughs> that was so cool. That <laughs> was awesome. Oh my god! I feel like I'm gonna break this thing. Yeah, the cars were dope. Oh, how about that Crown Victoria? Yeah, that was the coolest depiction of any Crown Victoria I've ever seen. The rockets on it—that was awesome. And I mean, even like the Neuralizer. It's so cool, the fact that you can, like, erase someone's memory. 
Yeah, how cool would that be to have as like a 13-year-old? Like you have some embarrassing moment in school and you just pull it out of your pocket and you neuralize everyone around you like you didn't see anything and just walk <laughs> away. You're right. It just erase all your past mistakes. This would life. have been a game changer for me in middle school. Dude, the misuse of the neuralizer in this film was just insane. Oh, God. Tommy Lee Jones' stories were horrible. He got neuralizer happy. Dude, he like walks in. And he just like he neuralizes the morgue lady. I wonder how many times he hits her like in the week. Like, well, there was once in the police hallway. Yeah, and then there was one more time in the morgue. Right, and then there was the second time when he realized he didn't have any time left. And then I'm assuming that she got neuralized again when that that special group came in once they left the morgue. So she got neuralized four times. I'm feeling like she probably gets it weekly because of all the aliens in New York. Like, he probably just goes down there and just keeps like... Man, that thing's going to give her brain cancer it or something. It has to be. Like, the long-term effects, 30 years from now, they just have, like, onset like She's Alzheimer's. just sitting at the kitchen table, and then she realizes, oh, I can't do the crossword now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anything. That's just crazy. And think about that. One switch too many. Like, instead of, like, minutes, he puts on, like, years. Mm -hmm. Well, how about in the beginning where we meet uh, Kay's partner, D? Yeah. Did you ever wonder at any point who D was to K? When I watched it this time, yeah, I'm like, I wonder what their history was. Because they, like, you know, they riffed a little bit about, like, oh, those adventures we went on. I, it made me wonder if he was, like, his, like, he trained K at all or yeah. anything. Like, what was their backstory? For me, that was probably the saddest moment in the movie when yeah. he puts on those glasses and just, you know, has that big, heavy sigh and just has to neuralize his friend. Oh, I know. The guy's like 70 years old, man. He's ready to go. <laughs> you know, actually, uh, I got, uh, our producer Jeremy's wife, Heidi, she actually wanted D, the character D, to show up at some point in Men in Black 3. That was a way to tie in all of the films in the franchise. That would have been a nice touch. Did I don't know if he does or not. I can't remember. No, I don't think he does. They probably just forgot about that. It's Josh Brolin playing a slightly younger K with uh, City Miles on him, apparently. With City Miles. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> he crushed it. How about the lack of government oversight yeah, they, onto the Men in Black? They were pretty freewheeling and dealing, man. They did whatever the heck they wanted to do. Like, there was no, I think, because, what does Jay ask him? Yes, K. Like, who are you guys? Who are you run by? Yeah, FBI, like, NSA. Yeah, like, well, I'm part of a independent bureau that investigates aliens. Right. And like, then at one point he asks him, "What branch of the government do you report to?" And he says, "None. Too much. Too many questions." Yeah. So it's like, so like, what are you independent or do you just have complete autonomy? Like, what's the deal here? Well, I felt that a little bit. Like it was a little disorganized in a sense like they didn't know like they had control but they didn't at the same time they were basically like to stop people from going crazy like seeing aliens and like society from like shutting down and realizing there's life outside of them well that being said do you think you could be a member of the men in black could you do this could you willfully erase yourself from every system in the world and just serve one purpose to cover up alien encounters i feel like if i was like 17 and i had nothing and i like got indoctrinated early absolutely or if i was like 36 and i had like nothing going for me i was like had no kids no girlfriend nothing i was like just living in an apartment working at like home depot like yeah 
I could do this. You know what? Here's what I thought about this movie was that really Will Smith's only qualification to be in the Men in Black was he ran down a cephalopod on foot. That's it. And it made me wonder while watching this. I'm like, how did they like judge people? How did they how do they train? Like, what is the requirements? Three, two tests. The military does more personality screening than the men in black. Literally. They had like a written test. And so when I was watching it with my dad, he was like, that was the test. Who would bring the table over? And I was like, really? That was the test? But then he goes and shoots uh, paper target Tiffany in the head. Dude, that was probably my the funniest scene in this entire thing. Like, it just like, ripped torn in his voice. Let me ask you why you felt little Tiffany deserved to die. <laughs> As she, she wheels up with a bullet hole square in her forehead. <laughs> well, she was carrying uh, like physics books, man. Little Those books are way too advanced for her, Zed. Dude, that was so funny. Like, he wasn't snarling. He was sneezing. <laughs> that was a tissue in his Man, how I, would I feel if I was working out and someone came in and bust a cap in me? <laughs> Dude, I'm like, this is hilarious, man. So true. Will Smith has this innate ability to deliver one-liners like this that are so funny, and yet you don't realize it until afterwards. Like, he does the same thing in Independence Day, did it in Bad Boys, and he's done it in every other movie he's been in since this, too. His tagline should have just been, damn, like the entire film. Well, that was... His one contribution to the teaser trailer for this was he walks up next to Tommy Lee Jones and goes, and we dress in black. <laughs> Will Smith, thanks, man, for doing this film. I couldn't see anyone else in that role, to be honest. No, but they considered a couple other guys in the role, too. Like, I really? read that they uh, can looked at Chris O'Donnell. Really? Yeah, because he was coming off of Batman Forever, okay. but he didn't want to do another, like, mentor, yeah. mentor-mentee-style role. That'd be horrible. Chris O'Donnell. Yeah, David Schwimmer also turned down the part, too, because I guess he was a hot commodity in Friends at the time. What? No. I don't want that. I'd rather see Will Smith. Well, you know who they actually considered for K? Who? Clint Eastwood. Oh. So we could have gotten a All Will right. Smith-Clint Eastwood jam. Now that's fair, because both of those guys, man. They're both perfect. legends, but they both didn't. I mean, they, I think this movie would have been great if Clint Eastwood took... K or if they went with Tommy Lee Jones. Either way. Like if I'm sitting in that writers or producers or directors film, like how do I pick between those two guys? Oh yeah. But Tommy Lee Jones took the role pending script rewrites. So he had to they had to rewrite everything for Yeah. Him. He was like, I'm not taking the schlock. And then Will Smith didn't actually take the role until his wife convinced him to do so. His wife. Oh, thank you, Jada. Yes. Thank (laughs) you, you, Jada. You are the woman. Thank you. That's why God invented man and whoa, man. (laughs) They can tell us about all the stupid ideas that we have and stop us from doing those. (laughs) Slow your roll, dude. But I think this is a good time to start talking about the climax. Yes. The ending scenes of the film. Yes. The big uh, bug reveal. Where you finally, this okay. whole film's been building up for First what question looks like. I have. So we're supposed to just believe that nobody else in Shea Stadium saw those flying saucers? That Dude. it was only the Mets outfielder who got beaten in the head with a ball saw that? That's what I mean, man. This neuralizer. How do they get everyone? Like, how do they... What? What Does like a giant like Men in Black spaceship come over and just... Do they speak it over the, like, the loudspeaker? Oh, be like, they did answer sh- this question in Men in Black 2, where it turns out that the torch on the Statue of Liberty is a giant neuralizer. Okay, but do you have to be looking at the torch? Or does it just like go through? Maybe it just zaps you and it's also in the TV signals. I don't know. I think we're getting into 
too much of the minutia there. And then like the TVs turn on. You guys didn't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> like what happened? Okay, but speaking of that flying saucer though, that was a bit too easily shot down. Like it took big two big pulses from those guns and then boom, it's down. I know. Like, the flying saucers in Independence Day took more damage. I know. I was a little that was a little underwhelming. But it was kind of a cool scene though, watching him crash kind of like Star Trek. What was that? Uh uh, the one with Kirk in it. Have you seen that one? What is that called? You mean all of them? No, the one where it was the crossover with Patrick Stewart and James T. Kirk. Oh, you mean Generations. Yes, like the scene where the spaceship comes flying in. I was like, hey, that looks like a nice callback. I like that. Took me down memory lane. I don't know if you read this, but apparently they were debating between five different endings for this I, film. I did read that. And one of them was why they went to CGI was they were going to make the bug animatronic and they're going to have a moral and ethical debate. Over uh, what? Unlike, I guess, like him taking over, killing Earth. Like, what a boring He's ending. He's a cockroach. What a boring ending. Yeah, I'm convinced that cockroaches have just never evolved. No. That and Twinkies, man. They're always Twinkies. Be here. Twinkies will survive anything. I mean, <laughs> why I think Chernobyl happened was that was because that facility wasn't made of Twinkies. But what a terrible ending! Like what? <laughs> but what would that? Be? I can't believe you said that. <laughs> but what? What a boring ending! Like, hey, before you leave, let's discuss the morals of doing. Well, this. I guess this movie throughout the entire filmmaking process went through a ton of changes. Yeah, they want like the location to either be underground or like in Nevada. Washington. That's nuts. Yeah, Kansas, I heard, was a location at one point. Yeah. And then they settled on New York City because they felt people would be more accepting of aliens in disguise. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, have you ever been to New York? Like no. New York City? Oh, it's like people are just always moving, man. I don't get out much. <laughs> I can tell by your pasty exterior. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm hey man, I'm just as white too. I give people cancer when the re light reflects off of I'm my not, skin. I'm not white. I'm neon white. Neon white. <laughs> oh man, we tan the lights when they shine on us. But the ending they chose for this film, I think, was spot on, and Perfect. it felt and it fit perfectly with the overall context of the film. Oh yeah, Tommy K getting eaten. Uh, Eat when, me. Oh, when I first saw that, I was convinced that Tommy Lee Jones was dead. Yeah, me too. When I, I like, saw this guy. What? No. Why would you do that, man? Uh, I was mad, though, that they took the gun so fast from him, but it just makes sense. It would be boring as like a yeah, shootout. You don't need it to be too easy, and it's more exciting that you know Kay goes in and finds his gun in the alien body and saves Jay at the last possible second. Well, I think it shows for like Edgar as an alien, like he wasn't there just to like kill everyone and massacre he just wanted the galaxy and to get the heck out of there he said multiple times you guys are puny meat sacks like he just wanted to get the galaxy so it's kind of cool there was like no shootout or anything no i don't think these films overall are meant to have those big no. action pieces like we get in say the avengers films yeah yeah. I mean, they give us a small group of characters. We care about them. We connect with them. We have fun with them. And then in the climax, when they save the day and defeat the villain, it's a big payoff for the audiences. In a lot of ways, the, the this film is more satisfying than saying watching a, a Marvel film these days. The payoff's a lot bigger. Yes. <laughs> Seeing endless CGI. But this does end in a lot of movies we've seen before. I mean, the villain's defeated... 
but K is looking was looking for a way out. He was. And yeah, which was kind of it's kind of like a twist in this whole film while you're watching it. He's like, "Oh, I'm not training a partner. I'm training a replacement." Which what made him think after like two or three days of training that Jay was qualified to take over the role Dude, that K has performed? It asks it brings so many questions. What is their training protocol? How do they find people? Who signs off? Well, on then this? an even bigger question because in the next scene we find Linda Fiorentino is Jay's new partner. Yeah, what makes her qualified to work to be a woman in black? Well, she saved their butts, man, by picking up a gun. Yeah. I That's guess. all she did. But hey, man, if you're wrong, you just neuralize them. It's like no harm, no foul. You or was it somewhere in like the MIB manual? Like you cannot neuralize people five times. All right. You're right. If, they, if we have to neuralize them five times, we just give them a job. <laughs> it can be like an office secretary But or nothing something. made her qualified to be a, a woman in black. No. She did absolutely nothing except feel around non-existent alien organs. Okay. I have to ask about the final shot of the film. Yeah. Where it turns out our galaxy is just contained within this itty bitty marble. Yeah, I like that. And a being lot. played with by a bunch of intergalactic beings. Mm-hmm. Was that a bit of a that screw with your mind a little bit? Yeah. I was like, sweet. I hope that's true. Because it like makes us feel as small and insignificant as we are. Well, for the most part, I would say that this movie is not nihilistic. No. I no, think no. it does it does give a very optimistic view of of potential alien contact. Yeah. And how cool that would be if it it would never... I think it also painted the picture of like how just society would never be ready for it. Oh, no. We're not ready for first contact now, and I doubt we'll ever be ready within at least our lifetimes for it. We'd screw it up somehow. Yeah. We would. We screwed everything else up so far. Why make first contact any different? I know. Exactly. <laughs> we can't even like figure out where to put our trash. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I'm I'm cool with us just like colonizing on the moon or something. Yeah. <laughs> We're good with just, you know, somewhat far enough space travel and maybe going to Mars soon. Yeah, this is uh, force-fed sci-fi's uh, message of the day. Just be happy, man. Stay in your lane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be yourself, man. All right, Barney. <laughs> so I think this is a good point to discuss the legacy of yeah. 1997's Men in Black. Well, yeah, obviously it's a franchise and there's soon to be a fourth film coming out yeah so three additional films a cartoon show yeah which debuted soon after this movie came out mm -hmm. tons of video games have come out uh, there's a ride yes that, yeah have you been on that ride at I universal studios multiple times i love, love that, ride. that ride man and nominated for three academy awards mm -hmm. uh best original score best production design and, and one for best makeup for Rick Baker. Yeah. It's almost a guarantee. If Rick Baker was nominated for best makeup, he was going to win it. Oh, yeah. Grossed $600 million in 1997, which uh, was good enough, was the third highest grossing film that year. You know what was ahead of it? Who? Titanic was number one, and The Lost World Jurassic Park was the other one. All right, fair enough. So- in a film, in a year where those two movies had come out, and 1997 was an otherwise stacked year for movies, mm -hmm. to be third on that list, that's pretty darn good. Yeah. And Will Smith recorded a song based Dude, on the movie's plot. The credits. I always, it like always reminds you, oh yeah, he was a rapper back in the 90s. Anytime there was a Will Smith movie in the 90s, it was pretty much guaranteed he was going to record a song for it. Yeah. And- Way before Marvel came around with their post-credit scene, you stayed around for a Will Smith movie just to hear, just to hear the song. Yeah. 
<laughs> no matter how cheesy. I remember this song was everywhere in yeah. 1997. I, people bought the soundtrack just for that song. We are the men in black. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I actually looked this up. This is actually Will Smith's highest rated film on Rotten Tomatoes. No way. Yeah. Out of all of his films? Out of all his films, this is the highest rated film at, with the 92% rating. Oh, that seems- For whatever value yeah. you place in Rotten Tomatoes rating, it is his highest rated film. For some reason, I feel like he'd have a higher rating with other ones. I would think so too. darn good actor. Like, even Seven Pounds or whatever. Mm, or whatever the heck that name of that film is. Not recently. Pursuit of Happiness? Concussion didn't exactly help. No, it didn't. But he can turn it around. He's still Will Smith. That is true. And who knows? This new Aladdin came out. Maybe it'll just destroy the critics <laughs> with this genie. You know, actually, the the also the, the sunglasses they wore in the film, those are the Ray-Ban uh, Predator 2 glasses. Oh, Did no, you read I, up I, on this? No, but I know how much you love Predator. <laughs> so, of course. No, it's, it's the name of the glasses. It's Predator 2 glasses. The sales for those glasses tripled after this movie came out. So they made $5 million in revenue just off the sales of those glasses. Oh, yeah, because everyone wanted to be like in the men in black. Mm-hmm. So like, look at my glasses. <laughs> I can't hate. I did the same thing when I was like eight years old when this came out. I was like, heck yeah. I'm MIB. I'm just like Will Smith. But you're not. No, not yet. <laughs> I uh, won't let you know if I ever change. I'll just um. You'll just gone. show up. With- I'll just be gone. <laughs> or I'll be like, I need your dog, Chris. <laughs> you aren't taking Delilah. Delilah could be an alien. You're not taking her. <laughs> I don't care if she's an alien. You're not taking my dog. <laughs> so actually, I also read this up. This is one of my favorite things I read about the movie. Um, the site, badastronomy.com. Badastronomy.com. It's known for bashing sci-fi films. What? For like their bad astronomy facts or their inaccurate portrayal of like space travel or astronomy facts. Okay. I can't. Just tell me. So this actually... Uh, praise the film for being accurate when it comes to astronomy facts. Okay. Whereas a film like Armageddon got torched by this website. Astronomy facts? Uh-huh. What astronomy was in this film? Well, they're talking about Orion's belt. Oh, come on. Just for that? Galaxies are hundreds of billions of stars and planets. Do, what do they do? Do they just like <laughs> sit and review films and wait? <laughs> are they going to mention astronomy? Ah, like, Let's consult the oracle. Jesus. Come on. <laughs> All right, so apparently that last bit you know, made Sean mad enough. Just come on, man. Sit around, wait for astronomy posts. Don't you have something better to do? You know, I'll end it on this one. How about this? Come so on. Empire Magazine, in the 2012 poll of their 500 greatest movies of all time, placed it 409th. 409th? Yes. Okay. And I did not look up what beat it because we don't have six hours to go through what beat it. Okay. I feel like that's deserving. Yeah. That's that's very much deserving of that spot on that list. Yeah. So with that in mind, let's rate this film, Sean. Oh, I'm ready. So keeping in mind our rating system on the show, what rating do you give 1997's Men in Black? I don't it. Oh, I don't it. I do own it. So what's stopping, what's preventing you from it being a wood host of viewing party? It would have to wow me in a sense. Like, it's tough for me to get people over and watch films together. Because I barely ever watch film a, a movie twice. And so, like, unless it's like Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, I don't know, it's got to wow me. 
like Back to the Future. And this film was almost there, but not exactly. Would you host the viewing party? Yeah, you know. You'd get the men in black glasses and popcorn? You know I would, baby. Oh, yeah? You'd, it'd be a suit and tie type You of know, deal. I think with a movie. <laughs> what? Let me explain oh, before you write off my review like a jerk. <laughs> you know, with a movie that is as old as this is, you know, at the time of recording, it's about 22 years old. All right. It's important that it, it's able to hold up. Yeah. And I think this movie does that well with repeat viewings as well as with time and advances in special effects. And this movie accomplishes that in spades. Okay. It's got great dialogue, good action. It's approachable for any type of science fiction fan. Mm-hmm. And it expands on an almost mythic aspect of UFO and alien culture. Yes, I would absolutely host a viewing party watching Men in Black. <laughs> black tie and black suit required. You must have glasses or upon Or you can entrance. alien cosplay if you ever want to come over for Men in Black viewings. They have to create their own costume? Why not? I mean, if it's oh, an man. alien. Wow. Rick, Rick Baker did it. I'm assuming other people can too. <laughs> right. Wow. I could see where you could take this costume voting party. So you could it's make an event <laughs> out of this. Yeah. The, the Men in Black event. Yeah. I'm like that sometimes. <laughs> well, I think that about oh, wraps it up. I think we've covered enough of Men in Black for today. I think so. We, we Yeah, we've dressed this down, man. Yeah. So thank you, everybody, for listening to today's special review episode of the first Men in Black film. Being, as we said, at the top of the show, this is coming out in advance of MIB International. So be on the lookout next week where producer Jeremy and I, we will sit down and we will discuss Men in Black International as Sean will yeah. be off on adventures. <laughs> on adventures. Battling the, the scum of the universe, <laughs> maybe. In the military, <laughs> going to Iowa or maybe Nevada or California. I don't know. I can't <laughs> legally tell you. You will neither g- confirm nor I can't deny where he's going. I confirm or deny where I'm going, but I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks. So enjoy the voice of Jeremy. So we will have producer Jeremy on the show on the airways for the first time. And he's our writer for uh, on the website for like all the blogs and everything. So check it out. So man. you'll get to hear his sultry voice. That's right. On the podcast. He, his voice is white chocolate to your airwaves. So if you enjoy today's show, please go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review or an honest review, whatever your heart desires. It helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at ForceFed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. And please subscribe so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for myself and Sean Culp, we'll see you next time. Forcefed Sci-Fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.